Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend mm-hmm. and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Hey, Nate. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Getting over that cold that I've been dealing with, which is a good reminder that I need to take some antibiotic right now. Ooh, well, it's nice to uh, be on this side of it. What are we talking about this week? Jeremiah, again. Again? Again. I tell you, it is the largest book in the Old Testament. Okay. And if it seems like we've talked a lot about Assyria destroying Israel, Babylon destroying Israel, Israel coming back, Judah coming back, we have. I mean, it's it's part of Second Kings, it's part of Chronicles, it's part of Isaiah, it's part of Jeremiah. And guess what, Nate? What? Next week when we talk about Ezekiel, yeah. it's going to be a big part of that too. All right. All right. But guess what comes after Ezekiel? Daniel, my brother. Daniel. Yes! Your brother. You are older than me. All right. Let's do this. All right. Let's, uh, let's do this. Before I dive in too, too deep, um, for, for you who've been commenting on the website... Thank you very much for your comments. And and I just wanted to drop a quick little explainer. So any any anything that gets dropped in a comment on the website has to get moderated before it gets approved so that we don't have like weird spammy stuff spamming you guys as you're trying to watch our our, our listen to our show and you go on the website and you see it. So if you post a comment and and you hit submit and you don't see anything for a minute that's what's going on. Don't don't give up. It, it it will show up, and it does. We we publish it on there. But we had some really good comments this last week. I mm. just wanted to highlight if that's okay. okay. Let's 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 talk about them. Brett, he's actually commented uh, some really good insight throughout the year. But I I particularly liked his insight on this last episode when we were talking about, and maybe it was two episodes ago that he was commenting on. But when we were talking about, it was the end of Isaiah when they say no more. And it, it bridged into Jeremiah because it says, no more shall they say the God lives that brought Israel out of the land of Egypt and part of the sea and as miraculous as that was, but the God who hunted them from whatever lands they went. And, the, and we talked about hunters and fishers and whatnot. And, and he had some really good insight as he talked about the Sabbath day when, when we would observe the Sabbath day as the end mark of creation. But then over time, it's changed his meaning. It's changed its meaning when we look at Christ resurrecting on the Sabbath, and now we worship Sunday as the Sabbath day, and it takes on a whole different meaning for us. And and so that was that was part of the context. It's not the whole comment, but it was a really good comment, and I liked his insight, and I just wanted to kind of highlight that. So awesome, Brett. Thanks for sharing. We had a question by Megan, and Megan asked. Why is it that Isaiah switches voice all the time? And how are we supposed to understand who he's talking about? It's a, a really good question because sometimes he's speaking in the name of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes he's speaking as Isaiah the prophet. Sometimes he's speaking as Israel and, and taking on personifying the, the God's country, Jacob, and, and speaking for them. And sometimes you can see very obviously who he's talking about when it says, thus saith the Lord. Or when all of a sudden his voice changes and he says, oh, Father, oh, oh Lord, you can say, okay, clearly he's speaking in a perspective of Israel appealing to their God. 
But in other times, it does get ambiguous. Um, ambiguous. 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 And uh, Nate, where this is, um, uh, this is this is more art. This is up your alley. Maybe you this can is help. Up uh, my alley. I have an answer to this question. Let's hear it. What is beautiful about good art is is that if it's if it's done in a way that it can relate to people wherever they are or on different levels or have different meanings. We read we read all the time in the New Testament. You have Jesus given the parables. Let those with ears hear. Those with eyes see. Right, and we've we've spent. 2000 years at this point dissecting so many of these things and still finding meaning of these things right this is what I, this is what's awesome about art or poetry or these things that Isaiah is giving us is because him switching voice him switching those voices or or telling these things from these different points of view you can look at it then and go oh but what if this was from this other point of view to add context to add different insight. It's why I've loved doing this podcast with you. I was just talking about this with a friend yesterday, Jason, is that is that the Hebrew language was written in a way that different vowels change the meanings and the points of things, correct? Yes. Like when you when you change subtle things about how things are even spelled, it adds context. And and I was speaking with one of my friends and he actually asked me a good question. He says, "Why haven't we updated the Book of Mormon into like a new English translation, right? Like kind of like they have with the NIV and things like that. It's like a great question. My thought with that was the same thing that I think about to this question, which is there are so many amazing things to learn by shifting perspective a little bit, by leaving enough room and ambiguity in there that the reader can make it personal can understand it and and read it from different points of view or different perspectives instead of just the obvious here's the story here's what it's supposed to mean that ambiguity leaves a lot of room for really deep thought and really deep connection to it and you know personal insight and understanding i love that answer I, it reminds me of song of solomon right when we saw that yes that janus parallel and really that word had two different meanings it was meant to be I mean, the more you can go back to and look at it in the original perspective or, or at least take that context and remove ourselves from a modern lens, we might be able to appreciate some of what was being said. Exactly. Okay, what are we talking about today? Some more Jeremiah. In Jeremiah. In we're Jeremiah. Ready. This is part two. And Great uh, question, by the way. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, these were fantastic questions. Keep up the comments. And also, we're, we're trying to get like a... A good holiday episode ready for you guys at the end of the year. And it's not that far. I think we got 10 episodes left in the Old Testament before we're back in New Testament land. So any any suggestions, highlights, or anything from the show that you wanna that you want us to include in that Christmas message, please send us an email. Hi at weeklydeepdive.com. Awesome. Okay, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. We're ready. <laughs> Jeremy. Hey, it was great. I was able to um to to teach in a primary class today. Awesome. And I was talking to the kids about Jeremiah and I okay. told them Jeremiah the name means the Lord will exalt. Mm. The Lord will lift up, right? That's the Hebrew. And so I asked these kids, these 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 little kids, how does the Lord lift us up or, or how does the Lord lift up Jeremiah? How does how does this apply to us? And and it was a little boy named James and and he said the Lord can lift us up by helping us feel hope and joy. And, and I thought that was such a profound answer. And because as you have, we've been talking about Jeremiah last week and his life, 
there, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of joy in it. Being thrown in the stocks by the temple, the, the priest, the chief governor, being rejected by the king, being thrown in a dungeon, and, and ultimately kidnapped into Egypt and being stoned. And his ark being contemporary with Lehi, and you look at Lehi who wept with all of his heart, who prayed with all of his heart on behalf of his people. And yet the Lord says, thanks for caring, but I'm going to destroy them anyways. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're going to be carried away captive into Babylon. They're going to be destroyed by the sword. And his reaction is to rejoice. And you're like, how do you rejoice over such grave news when you care so much about this people? And the Lord just told you they're going to be wiped out. And the end of the chapter, it tells us because he saw the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of the world. So going back to James's answer, the idea that whatever we're dealing with, that the Lord can instill a sense of hope or joy and lift us up, no matter how troubling the circumstances are around us, I thought was extremely profound. And we're going to be talking about not just Jeremiah, but also the book of Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah, and he is lamenting the destruction of a city and a people that he loved so much. And it's so easy to focus on how sad this is. And, and I think we do this the same thing with the cross and Christ. We, we saw this in conference. The idea that so much of the Christian world focuses on the death, the crucifixion, the, 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 the lamenting, the sorrow. And you even see this with Enoch. And when, when, when he was going to war with the people and the God pulls him up into heaven and, and he's not going to rest until he sees him destroyed and then he shows him the flood and he's going to wipe them all out. And then he sees God weeping over the people and he says, how can you weep? And he says, these are your, your brethren. These are my children. And when he gets that perspective, he refuses to be comforted until he sees the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of the world. And the idea that God can lift us out of that sorrow, that depression, no matter how bleak or dark it gets around us. I think that's the message in Jeremiah that we should choose to focus on. As much as it's about lamentations, as much as it's about dreary or darkness, his name says it all. This is a message of a prophet who's come to tell you there is hope. And even in our own lives, we will face death and destruction. And the idea that we will be raised from the dead, just like his name says, the Lord will lift us up. There is no greater hope than to know we will live again and we have that hope. That is Jeremiah in a nutshell. Just real quick, what I love about that is that that's also the answer, I feel like, to that we've talked about before, especially in the past, to the question of why would God let bad things happen to good people. And the idea that once again, God doesn't see things on the same timeline or plane that we do. And in our world, it is hard not to see past the horrible things that happen. And, and it doesn't feel good to see sad, you know what I mean? Or terrible or, or, you know, horrific things happen to people. But the, the news is like you said, Jason, is that because of the atonement, we will all live again. And so death isn't that thing that is scary or that we should be afraid of because Christ already saved us from that and provided a way to also save us from sin. For God, he sees things on the eternal perspective and 
while yes, in our finite understanding, it is hard to understand why horrific things happen to good people, but we have to look at it on God's level. We have to try to see it from God's point of view. And and honestly, as I've been studying Jeremiah, I find myself praying for him. Like this poor guy who wasn't allowed to get married, wasn't allowed to have kids because they, they would have been destroyed in the destruction that was to come. I find myself like, man, this guy was amazing. God, whatever whatever the next life looks like, please like give, give this guy some relief or give, I mean, I mean, as we start to look at this and, 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 and our hearts are, are melted a little bit as we, as we see these people for really who they are people and these stories come to life for us and we start to care and we start to be moved with compassion and it motivates us. We start to see as God sees and that desire to lift up and to exalt. I mean, when we find ourselves trying to lift up others and, and that's a big message of Jeremiah like you guys are being destroyed because you didn't care enough to lift up the people that were around you that were struggling. And we don't have to pray just for some Jeremiah that lived thousands of years ago. Are there not people around us today that could use a hand? Are there not people that are struggling? And as our heart turns and melts towards them to lift them up, just as the Lord was, now we find ourselves following in his footsteps. Now we get it. Now we are engaged. Now we're God's people. Love it. Let's keep going. Okay, I'm going to start in 28. I know the, the the Come Follow Me goes to 30, but we skipped 28 and 29, and I don't want to skip these. These are, to me, great. This is Hananiah, and Hananiah, Hannah is grace, mercy, ayah, of course, the Lord, Jehovah. So this is the, the Lord is merciful or the mercy or grace of the Lord. And, and he's going to prophesy. Now, so you've got Jeremiah, and the Lord says, hey, I need you to put a wooden yoke on you and it's going to represent the, 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 the Babylonians coming and putting captivity, a yoke on the people of, of Judah. And then Hananiah comes along and here comes the mercy and the favor of the Lord. He's going to break that yoke and he takes the wooden yoke off, breaks it and says, the Lord will deliver this people within two years. Okay. And, and so Jeremiah is like depressed going home. Like what now? Like, I, I, I was prophesying, but this other prophet came and, and, and tried to outdo me in front of everybody. <laughs> like, how do you respond to that? And um, the Lord says, he stops him on his way. So the, verse 12, 28, then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah saying, go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the yoke of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. Mm. For thus saith the Lord of hosts of God, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations. And and tell me, you don't see a sense of humor in the Lord and, and like telling Jeremiah, okay, he broke your wooden yoke. I see you, Hananiah. Go get an iron one and see if he can break that with his bare hands. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. No, that's actually hilarious. So... Verse 15, then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die. So that's that's pretty, pretty harsh. Verse 17, very small, simple verse. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Okay. And this, uh, this section of Jeremiah, we're actually going to be dealing with a lot of false prophets. But before we get too far into false prophets, uh, chapter 29, this is another, uh, this is a chapter I, I, if you guys 
are doing your Come Follow Me and you're just reading the chapters that are outlined in there. 29 is not outlined. Go back and read at least this chapter. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And these are the words of the Lord as they're talking about the people that are going to be scattered. Um, and verse four, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from the Jerusalem unto Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to your husbands that you may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. Now contrast that with the Lord telling Jeremiah, don't get married and don't have kids because you're going to be destroyed. But as soon as they're brought into Babylon, as, as bad as it was that they lost the temple, as bad as it was that they, they lost their homeland, the Lord is now telling them, get comfortable find peace in your new situation and, and find a way to live with the Babylonians and, and make the best of it. Seek peace of the city where, whither I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray unto the Lord for it. That's an interesting statement. Pray unto the Lord for it. For what? For the city wherein you were carried captive. The Lord's asking them to pray for Babylon. That's a hard ask. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Pray for that city because as that city prospers, you're going to prosper. And and as bad as it was that they're getting destroyed, the Lord, we look at it oftentimes as the relief came from Cyrus conquering Babylon. But the Lord provided relief almost instantly in the wealth of Babylon and them taking care of the Jews in the city of Babylon. Pray for peace for the city and take care of it. And, and then he says, verse 8, For thus saith the Lord God of hosts, uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. <laughs> there's, there's two interesting things here. First is, the prophets that go into Babylon with you, don't listen to them. They're false prophets. And, and this, is going to, this is going to be a point that we're going to see in some of the other books that we read. Zechariah is going to talk about false prophets and, and the, the wanting to shut them out. It's a problem when you have false prophets that are prophesying in the name of the Lord. And, but the, the next line is actually one that I really wanted to talk about. Deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which ye cause to be dreamed. So if you dream that Israel is going to go free the next year or that you need to revolt against Babylon and you look at that dream and say, hey, the Lord told me in a dream last night that we need to do this. Now you are becoming a false prophet as well because what is the source of that dream? According to the Lord, they're saying, which ye caused to be dreamed. So you're trying to convince yourself almost. Yes. And and that's easy applicable to today, right? Oh, man. I was going to say, if that's what that means, that's about as applicable as it gets, in my opinion. How many times do we want something so bad, it doesn't matter, right, wrong, or other, that that we cause the revelation to come, we cause the dream to happen, and we believe in any little sign that's going to convince us that this is the case? So how do we know? And and Jeremiah is going to give us a real important clue for this. Uh, Let me turn the page. Verse 18, and I will persecute them, talking about the false prophets, 
Uh, in fact, I mean, we could go back and read a couple of verses. He's, he's going to go off on these false prophets, but I'm, I'm just going to, in interest of time, fast forward here. I will persecute them with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and will deliver them to be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and an astonishment and an hissing and a reproach among all the nations whither I have driven them. And this is why, verse 19, because they have not hearkened to my words, saith the Lord, which I sent unto them, by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but ye would not hear, saith the Lord. So how do you know a false prophet from a real prophet? Here he's saying all these false prophets he's going to persecute because they did not listen to the words of the prophets that he already sent. If any of these prophets had listened to Isaiah 140 years earlier, They would have known that Babylon was going to happen. They would have known that 70 years later, Cyrus was going to be doing this. Jeremiah's prophecies aren't anything new. They are the same prophecies that Isaiah had delivered 140 years earlier. So this goes back to the conference talk, Elder Renland, if if I remember right, when he was talking about Revelation and how you know it's right. And, And the key here is, is your revelation going against the revelation that has already been revealed to the Lord's servants? If you find yourself in contrast to what the Lord has revealed to his prophets, then maybe this is a dream that you're causing to happen for you. Because the Lord is not going to be a God of confusion and, and revealing things conflicting with what's already been revealed. The last thing I wanted to hit on that verse was when the Lord says, which I sent unto them by my servant, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but you would not hear. Now the Lord, he's used this term before, rising up early, but usually he's using it in reference to us. Blessed are those that seek me early. And the thought behind the th- the seek me early is that you are so anxious to, to hear the word of the Lord, to close yourself to the Lord, that you're actually arising early in the morning to seek the Lord. First thing, before you do anything else in the day, you're turning to the Lord and trying to see what he has for you and align yourself to him so that the rest of your day goes well. But now the Lord is turning that and reflecting it on himself because he sent his servants. When he says he sent them, sending them, rising up early and sending them, he sent Isaiah 140 years before this happened. He, he's not waiting until it already happens and then sending you the word. And, and I guess a good parallel today, if you look at the difference of time between Isaiah's writing this and, and these prophets in Babylon that are false prophesying, it is the difference of time between Joseph Smith and the restoration of the gospel versus us at the latter times of, of this. Are we going against what was early revealed or, or how, do we, how do we fit what has been revealed with what the Lord has already revealed? That's all I'll say on that. But I did want to read 11, 12, 13, 14 in in chapter 29 while I'm in chapter 29 because they're so beautiful. And and this is Jeremiah finding a way to, uh, again, as we talked at the very start of this, he lifts up. This is how Jeremiah is lifting up a brokenhearted people. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me, 
when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will not turn away your captivity. And I will gather you, excuse me, I said that wrong. And I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations from whither from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place where I have caused you to be carried away captive. It's just beautiful comfort. I, and I, I, don't, I don't know that we need to say too much more on that. Chapter 30. I, I really liked in here, verse 11, I just want to highlight this. Uh, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. When I read that verse, I had to stop. And and the, the line, though I make an end, a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, I stopped and made a list. I mean, you look at the Assyrians that scattered northern Israel. Where are the Assyrians today? You look at the Babylonians that scattered Judah. Where are the Babylonians today? The Lord made a full end. And then the Persians, full end. Alexander the Great, full end. The Romans, full end. Then even in modern times, what happened to Hitler Germany after the persecution of, of the Lord's people and the Holocaust and what they went through, yet who survived? You had an extermination order that was meant to wipe out all of Judah and yet, it is Nazi Germany that ceases to exist today while the Jews are still thriving. And, and that's, a, that's an interesting promise. It's a, it's a beautiful promise. And it's, it's kind of interesting where we call ourselves Israel today, modern Israel. And if we call ourselves modern Israel and you read about how the Lord treats Israel, it's, it's this idea that you're going to have to go through this Babylonian dark period. I mean, go back to the Lord where he says, I know the thoughts that you think I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, but he's doing this in, in a way to bring about an end and, and to, to help us. But part of this pattern of being Israel is this Babylonian, you're going to have to go through here, and, and then there's going to be this destruction in order to set you free, and then I will give you peace. And you look at the early persecution that, that went right after the gospel was restored to the people that called themselves Israel. You look at how they were chased out of their homes in the winter and their blood marked the snow pass where they walked. You, you look at this American continent being the new Jerusalem and yet the blood that was spilt in the civil war and everything that happened and the, the prayers that were suing for peace and to try to find a rest from all of this. And then you see the saints delivered in a land where finally they can worship peace with has this, this salt sea and a fresh sea and a Jordan River and this new Israel, this new Jerusalem, and this new establishment of peace. And it fits all of the prophesying and, and what's being prophesied of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. It's beautiful to see that. And then subsequently, you see this persecution again happening to the people in World War II and the Holocaust, and yet they're then grabbed, gathered, and restored into their land in the old Jerusalem. So I, I see Jeremiah's message, and I see it extremely applicable to today and the Lord doing the same thing as he did then, now, and the expected pattern that you would see for anyone that calls themselves Israel. I, I, I just like it. All right. Um. 
something else that's kind of interesting. If you've noticed reading through Jeremiah, it says Nebuchadnezzar over and over and over again. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually shows up a little bit more than Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, but it's almost 50-50, and it's the same person. And you'd be wondering, like, why, why is Jeremiah saying Nebuchadnezzar? Why do other prophets and other books call it Nebuchadnezzar? And, and it's kind of funny. I, I feel like it's worth mentioning. The... Please tell me this is slanderous. Yes. Yes! The, the thought behind it, uh, Nabu is the son of Marduk, the Babylonian god. And, and so this is the god that they're worshiping. And Ezer is is this the help to save, and the idea that that simple change of an R to an N, it is argued that Nebuchadnezzar means God saved the king, but when you change it to Nebuchadnezzar, it means God saved the ass, ah, the donkey, yes. and because the Jews weren't weren't super happy about Nebuchadnezzar and his role in destroying the temple and destroying Jerusalem, you, you get that slander in there. So, for Love what it. it's worth. Love it. There, there, there's people that think that. All right, 31. And talking about words that show up a little bit different in Jeremiah. Verse 15, thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rahel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Rahel, this H, it is the same as Rachel in the Old Testament, and that is a chet, which is guttural. And so in here, it's just translated with an H. I I wish it was a little bit more consistent. But the context behind this, Rachel, who's her children? Uh, She had Joseph and Benjamin, and we're talking about the destruction of the northern kingdom, which is Ephraim. So losing her children, that's what they're referring to, if, if you weren't sure who Rachel was. Awesome. 35 is also another chapter that's not covered in the Come Follow Me, but it's kind of a cool little story. It's about the, the Rechabites. And the Rechabites are a group of people that live peaceably outside of Jerusalem that are not part of the house of Israel. They're actually descending from Moses' father-in-law's line. So they're outsiders. And the Lord commands Jeremiah because they've fleed, fled fled <laughs> their, their settlement outside of Jerusalem into Jerusalem because the Babylonian, the Chaldean armies are coming and it's a lot safer in the city than outside of the city when the army comes. So the Lord says, go to them, take them to one of the chambers in the temple and give them wine to drink. And Jeremiah brings them in, sits them down, grabs some wine and says, here, have some wine. And they say, we can't drink this. Our father forbade it. And so the Rechabites, look at these guys as ancient Amish because they're not allowed to build homes they don't, they're not supposed to live in a city because they want to keep a, a simple life. They don't want to be corrupted by city life. Think of Abraham and Lot, and this is kind of the, their, their take. But also part of it is their father commanded them to not drink any alcohol. And so they say, our father commanded us not to, and we believe our father, so we're going to listen. And they refuse Jeremiah, the prophet, when he offers them wine at the Lord's request. Why is the Lord asking Jeremiah to give wine to a people that won't drink. Doesn't that seem at odds with, with what we would expect the Lord to be doing? And, and this is, the Lord's going to make a point with this, and he tells them that even though the city's going to be destroyed, even though a lot of people are going to be killed, 
the Rechabites will will live forever. Their children, their line will not stop. And the reason why it won't stop and they will always have kids and they will survive the Babylonian conquest is because they remembered the teaching of their fathers, where Judah refused to listen to the teaching of their fathers. They refused to go back to their roots and remember what was, was being taught. So he makes an example out of this family to say, remember the teaching of your fathers, which I feel is a pretty cool story. Love it. All right, I'm just going to go into Lamentations, if that's okay. Would love it. I know this is a lot of skipping through, but no, there's good. there's something here that I think is worth mentioning that that it's really cool. Um, Lamentations, such a sad book, and and, and Jeremiah is going and lamenting all of this. It, it's very reminiscent of what you see in Third Nephi when they see the destruction of all the area after after the Lord has died on the other side of the world and, and the Lord's lamenting and how often would I have gathered you? It's, it's very similar to that. Or even Moroni as he's looking out at the people that died and says, Oh, how, how would the Lord have saved you? It's the very same tone, but I'm going to verse 15. The Lord hath trodden this is chapter one. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. He hath called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin daughter of Judah as in a winepress. Yes. Okay. We're going there. I love it. Because we've looked at the winepress like in Isaiah 63, and he says, out of Edom comes the one dressed in red because he tread the, the, the winepress. And so they look at it and say, what is the winepress? Well, Edom was the enemy of the Lord, right? So he's trampling under his enemies. Well, then how come it's Judah right here that he says is actually the ones that are in the winepress? And you see it in the book of Revelation when the Lord comes in the second coming and chapters 14 and 19, the Lord's wearing these red garments because it's stained and they say, where, where have you come from? And he's come from trotting the grapes alone and no one else has helped him. So this idea here is that Christ is trampling all of his enemies, but Judah is also his enemy. So, so who are the enemies of the Lord? And I want to take this back to Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We can point fingers and say Edom or Esau, but at the same time, it's Judah. And at what point in time have we been so perfect that we haven't been trodden under the foot of God as well? The point is, all of us, are trodden under like grapes. It's all of our blood that's staining his clothes. Because did he not did he not take our blood, our sin, our guilt upon him? If he didn't take our blood, our guilt, our sin upon him, then then we stand condemned. We are the grapes that are trampled. But but where this gets so amazing and beautiful to me is you go to Gethsemane when Christ is praying and bleeding out of every pore, he is now the grape that is being tread under. He is being pressed. He is being held accountable for the sins. He took all of our sins on him, and now the Lord is squishing him as a, as a, as a he is being trampled under. And so this analogy that, that Judah is the, the pressed, the world is the pressed, we are as also Christ is. And I think there's a really powerful message in this, that God did this to save everyone. 
No one is exempt from his justice. No one is loved so much that they're not going to be tried, pressed, squeezed. And no one is hated so much that they're not going to be tried, pressed, squeezed. And that process is part of what makes us divine. And that as many times as Israel screwed up, as many times as they were cast out, the Lord still took time to love them, to pull them under his arm, and to say, hey, it's okay, I was there too. I also got cast out. I also got pressed under. I also got beat down. And for anyone battling addiction or problems or, or struggling to wonder if they're still worth it, I mean, look at the story of Israel. They got a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, or whatever kind of chance. And, and, and there's something powerful about the sinner becoming, though your sins be as scarlet, yet they shall be white as snow. And, and going, I guess, right back to the very first message of Jeremiah. What is the message of Jeremiah? It is, he will lift up. And how can you but rejoice in knowing that you're not so far gone or so lost that you also can't be saved? And that is the beautiful message of Jeremiah. Love it, man. That's, that's, that's all I got for this week. Great stuff, man. I just kind of as you've been talking through this it's like it's funny because you keep saying that it's all the sad stuff and it's like everything that we've talked about today these feel very like comforting chapters for whatever it's worth like like you keep kind of going you, you keep saying oh these are these are the sad books but it's like look at the stories which is christ went through these things to save us uh yes we are we are the we are the 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 grape being put through the press, but so is Christ. And he's done this before us. He's, he's shown us the way he did it. Sacrifices. Um, you know, the, the enemy, your, the people that persecute God's people will, will be destroyed as a nation. Like you'll still, you will receive justice. You know, it's like, there's, there's actually a lot of hope kind of throughout all of these things. There is. I don't know. Am I, am I, am I misreading this or something like no, that? I, I think, uh, I, that's where I want us to take this. Like Israel was supposed to be the best of us. What other nation was better than Israel? This is God's people. And yet the best of us was beaten down. The best of us was destroyed. But that's hopeful for me, for me personally. Yes, because it, it, we can't be too hard on ourselves. Yes. And not only that, it just gives us perspective, man. It gives us perspective that when we see, when we see the things in our life, or we, like you said, when we, beat ourselves up when we when we have our own trials of faith when we when we see it feels like the world mounting against us these chapters i feel like are are more than anything saying it's because god loves you like you said it's because god tries the people that he loves it's it's he he purifies the people that he loves and for whatever it's worth like I the the overriding message I got out of all of the stuff from from today's lesson is you can make it like keep going and as things stack up against you take that as a sign that you're doing something right and that God is just purifying you because he considers you that precious metal that's worth purifying. And if I could add anything to that just as you see how anxious God is to save and help this beaten down poor people after they've been destroyed and ignored him they wouldn't have been beaten down if they could have seen the people that were beaten down around them that were oppressed and, and take that same 
God's desire to help, to, to look around and find others around us that are, that, that are feeling beaten down. Do we see anybody like Israel that's being brought into their own Babylonian captivity that we have ability to set free? Do we have anyone that we can gather? Because we've, we've been through that too. We've been trampled like grapes, grapes before. And so we're coming bloody and stained just like them. And, and because we've been through that and we know what they're going through, we care enough to save them. Not just our own salvation, but how do we take that message and now turn and save others that were, that were like us? Because if we do that, that's where they messed up in the first place. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I great stuff, man. Maybe I tainted your. No, I not at all. I think that that's absolutely. I, I guess I'm I'm glad that we I'm glad that we both saw the positivity in these chapters that, that are kind of like you even prefaced the sad ones are kind of just the sad things. It's just like, Oh man, these ones, these ones are encouraging for me for whatever it's worth. I like Jeremy. All right. What are we talking about next week? Ezekiel. And then Zeke. And then Daniel, my brother. All right. Until next week. See ya. See ya.